Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 Anyone fancy a pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. There we go. Red button has been pushed. That's got to mean it's the afternoon here at 3 Triple RFM. A big thank you to the scientists. And I look across and I see Matt Steadman. And guess what? I know we're looking at We can see each other. It's wonderful. Yeah. But we're, we're pretending. Not, we're not there. We're yeah. on the road. Yes, we are. We are. This um, next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to bring you some interesting things mm-hmm. uh, because I'm away. Making money. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good thing to be able to say after, what, 18 yeah. months of pandemic? Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a hallelujah moment. Um, so, yes, um, I'm not going to be away, but because of the wonderful things that we live in 2021, we can do pre-records and get this organised. And I think we've got something that's really valid, and yes. I hope you enjoy it. Yes. Alex, the French food guy, he's a YouTuber. Um, Matt, have you heard of this guy? I, I, I've heard of him. I actually haven't mm-hmm. watched much of his stuff, but you know, one of the um, yeah, one of the, the, the really sort of uh, new trends in food, obviously, is online content, and YouTube channels, and those sort of things. And Alex is uh, he's got a good one. Yeah, he has. Okay, so just if you haven't um, uh, heard of him, we gave a little bit of a preview in the last couple of weeks to do some homework. Alex, the French food guy, he's sort of a—he's an engineer who comes at food from that Mm -hmm. sort of state of mind. He seems like a really, really lovely bloke. He's had some great series. Um, Mm -hmm. The latest one is fried rice. He did a great one on sauces. He did one on croissants, my God, Mm -hmm. which was uh, pretty incredible. And um, I... Finally got to talk to him, and I have to thank Elizabeth McCarthy, who organised getting him organised for us. So we've got mm-hmm. long-format interview, which is a wonderful thing about 3 Triple R, in two parts. And then mm-hmm. what we do is, uh, after that, we've got a brief little market report with John. Um, I went to the Queen Victoria Market and chatted with him, which um, was pretty good on a, yeah. you know, on a, what was a, a warm wintry day so yes um yeah that's uh, that's pretty much it we uh spoke to paris which was uh, a pretty amazing thing mm-hmm. and uh i had rachel who was organizing that big thanks to her as well and uh, well you know that's uh, pretty much it i hope you enjoy the interview and it goes <laughs> something like this take it away Alex, a big good day from Australia. I can't tell you how great it is to uh, to meet you because I've been I've been watching you for quite a while now. Welcome to the studios of Three Triple RFM down here in beautiful downtown <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, man. Uh, look, it's a pleasure it, to meet you. It is my honour completely. First of all, are, are you in Paris at the moment? Yes, I am. So I'm based in Paris, was born there. Yes. So haven't been moving. I mean, apart from traveling, but otherwise haven't been moving so much in terms of home. Yes. I, I noticed that uh, one of the last things you, it seemed like you were in the, in the French countryside. So I thought maybe you had uh, fled the city to, to go into the country. 
my parents are based outside the city, so that's why that's where ah. I I go to do my barbecue retreats. Yes, okay, and that's where you were you were doing your walk action. But uh, we will we'll talk more <laughs> about that. Uh, tell me about your early life and your parents, because it seems that they travelled around a lot. So as a kid, we did travel a lot. They really opened my eyes to different cultures and to. Um, how to apprehend a new country starting at the market. Yeah, that was, that's, that's what really, I learned with my mom. That's a really, really great idea, I think, because it's, uh, it's a unique window into the soul of a country. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's, first, first of all, usually markets are pretty casual, they're pretty popular, pretty, pretty chilled. So the attitude is less snobby than, for example, restaurant. Mm. You, you get a feel of both the ingredients and the food and the people at the same time, which is great. And it's just like it's, it's so inspiring, to be honest. Just being on a market, seeing all these colors, all these flavors, all these smells. I can remember markets from Italy, from Greece. From We've been mostly with my parents traveling in the Mediterranean era. But then on my own, I've been traveling a bit everywhere afterwards. But yeah, starting at the market is such a great way to discover a country. So early life with mum and dad, um, what was their job and their employment? So my mum was uh, an employee in an office. So she, she was doing administration work. But yes. she was working in an um, Australian company. What? Which one? Uh, Australian company. So not, not Australian company. Oh, oh. I don't know how to pronounce that. Like, like, like the country really close to Germany. Austrian. Austria. Yeah. yeah. So and she she had some sort of a biculture already. She's really into speaking languages. Yeah. She was constantly going back and forth between English, German, and French. So I got mm. something from her on this side. Uh, I've, I've been I've been in love of uh, I've been in love of learning languages since I was a kid, basically, and my dad. So he was a, he was a teacher in school, but then he turned uh, slowly into more filmmaking as he grew older. Ah, okay. Yeah, and this is the thing that through osmosis came and rubbed off onto you, perhaps? Maybe, maybe it has. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm doing something slightly different than he is. I guess I'm more into something more entertaining. My thing is less about serious stuff. It's really into serious stuff. Serious documentary. I'm more about uplifting, inspiring, you know, entertaining. I think if you really want to get somebody interested, you got to make them either smile yes. or drool. One of these. Yes, you get a lot more with sugar than uh, than with bitterness, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And that has been my 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 thing. So I, I think these are two things I got from my parent: curiosity a lot from my mom, yeah. and the appetite for different culture and different languages and the, the real genuine curiosity for others for just learning i'm i'm a you know i'm this is almost this is almost like a situation for me i love learning so much but this I, is, I'm, I'm, this, yeah. this is the thing that comes through alex that i love about you and the series that you do in the that you have this premise that you you take a concept and you either fail at it or realize your own shortcomings and then set out to improve or hone it. And, and it's an element of, you know, the more we know, the less we know. Exactly. That, that's my mantra, basically. I love this one. Yeah. Uh, that's usually how I start my series. I just state the obvious first. Yeah. If I suck, I suck. Yeah. And I want to show it to my audience. Like, see, this, is, this is me, for example, in the shape of a mozzarella bowl. Yeah. My first mozzarella cheese bowl sucked big time it was yeah. horrifying yeah disgusting yeah. grainy mm. just not uniform it wasn't soft it was just but that's great that's an amazing starter for a story because it sets the the initial step of the journey that's where i'm coming from and now people want to see where how far i can go yeah because it's it makes for a beautiful art and in your words you say it's about understanding the food and going deeper into our relationship of the food. Yes, it's it's always food is only a pretext, a pretense, a pretext from, from for my videos. It's just like I'm using food to 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 sell something bigger. I feel mm. I'm I'm in love with with people's culture as a rule. So I I love discovering things, and I see values in differences more than you know 
disabilities or, or uh, I don't know if I'm using the right words here but I see values in differences well it's it's also, yeah, maybe it's it's about um, if I can paraphrase for you Alex yes, it's about um, seeing your own shortcomings and then applying knowledge and the beautiful thing is you apply scientific method and engineering to it you engineer the shit yes. out, of, out of stuff yeah <laughs> uh, I yeah. try to yeah uh, and and doesn't it. always work sorry to to bust it out but doesn't always work like for example my meatball gun hmm. was a good one was a solid one in terms of entertainment wasn't the best you know contraption that i've ever made but still was a very fun one well tell me alex so which one do you reckon was the one where you learned the most like you mean in terms of series or in terms of contraption that I made? No, I think maybe just for yourself, for the, the knowledge that you brought from going from here mm. where you went, yes. you know what, I do this and I totally suck at it. But which was the one where you took the, excuse this, this sounds really cliche, but you took the journey mm. and you learned the so, most so many, from it. So many to pick from. I, I, I would have probably to pick the croissant. Oh, the croissant, yeah, sort of that yeah. French pastry, yes. just because it was so daunting for me, so intimidating for me yeah. to just go into making my own croissant. Why would I ever do that in the first place? Yeah, don't be so there stupid. are bakeries, yeah, exactly. There are bakeries everywhere here in Paris, mm. and you can get a super decent croissant for just as low as one euro. Mm. So why would I ever do that? Well, that's why. There, there doesn't need to be. A reason why. It's just like I want to learn and I want to, while I'm going to be learning in the series, while the story is going to be unfolding, people are going to understand and appreciate all the efforts, all the craft, all the dedication that, for example, pastry chefs have when they make croissant. Well, it's my, my, my and job art, is that. Sorry to, that again, sorry. sorry to cut across you. It's science and art. In, it's a, there's a lot of there's so much science to a croissant, <laughs> though, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of science for sure. Yeah. That, that that's why I was I was terrified by it because I I don't follow rules super accurately usually. Mm. So I was a bit scared of this, but then I, I I got around it. I I found a way to make it work and. In the end, I did manage, at the end of this croissant series, I think it was like at least 10 episodes, maybe 12, I did manage to, to make my own croissant, which I was proud of, and I, and I grew up on croissant. So I had some serious standards when it comes to it. But still, I, I don't make them anymore. I never make them anymore. No. I just wanted to know how hard it is and what does it take to make them. And, it, and, and uh, to be honest, I don't make them, but I've got pictures coming in my uh, in my mailbox not every day but every week of yes. people making croissants so that's amazing it, and, and, I, and i'm amazing. thinking these guys are making them for their family for their wives kids just mind-blowing that's one of the things that makes these broadcasts so good and the fact that you've touched so many people and inspired so many people too how long have you been doing it for so i've been doing this for i'd, I'd say almost 10 years now 10 years yeah, yeah. wow i'm an old dude now yeah, I don't know about that compared to me. You know, you're a spring chicken and you look amazing. Um, <laughs> spring chicken. That's me. Uh, yeah. my new That's my new nickname on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Alex Spring, spring chicken, chicken Cabrielinus. There's, an, there's another one which technique-wise is mm-hmm. one that really, really fascinated me. And I was actually going on a sort of similar journey before I saw your series. And that was uh, Cacio e Pepe. Cacio is mind-blowing. Isn't it amazing? Again, it's another thing that seems so simple. Name the ingredients, Alex. So cacio e pepe is only pasta, yeah. pepper, yeah. and cheese. Yeah, three things. You need nothing, no. right? How, how it's the same. How, how hard can it possibly be? Yes. There's nothing to it. Alex, stop making series about stupid stuff. Well, hold on a second. There's an art to making cacio e pepe. Because this was the thing where you said your words, I'm just going to use it, the difference between being bold and brave and incredibly stupid. <laughs> that sounds like something I would say. It seems so simple. And uh, there were two things about it. One thing I, I loved about it was just how you 
honed it, you improved it and did that. And let me tell you one thing about um, Melbourne and Australia is we have an incredible Italian diaspora. So mm-hmm. we know Italians and we know that as soon as you start messing, see there's my finger waving there, if yes, you start messing with their cucina, their heads explode because everything you did was valid and was good, but I could imagine you would have got such a blowback from all the Italians to there. I was, I was slightly worried of being murdered yeah. by the mafia or something around these lines. I was just thinking, I was just being very careful, but I didn't, I didn't, no, that's, that's a lie. I, I didn't worry too much because mm. I always treat my ingredients and my food and my recipes, the things that I learn with utmost respect. Yes, you do. So I thought, I, didn't, I don't even have to, to, to pretend. I, I'm just going to do my work and people... I don't think they, 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 they might find it to be good or bad. Mm. That would be their decision, but they won't be offended because I would approach that with an humble mind. Yes. That's what I did. In the past, I used to do cacio e pepe at my place, but I would just throw pecorino cheese on a plate of spaghetti with Ooh. a good crack of yeah. black pepper. Well, that would be a, a, yeah, that would yeah. be, you know, a, a simple cacio e pepe. And, and your wife would say, what's this? Darling Alex, and you go, hey, that's cacio e pepe, babe. And then you go, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't go as far as calling it cacio e pepe with my wife because she, she's, she's, she's into food as well. But oh, I would okay. just say it's, 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 it's a thing. You, you get the same flavor profile. But, but with cacio e pepe, the thing that makes it unique is that cheese is mixed with a little of that pasta water. It's an emulsification. It becomes a new thing. The emulsification. Yes, the starch. You got it. You, you know everything. I don't have anything to teach you with, with this one. The starch, yeah. the cheese, they all melt together. They create some sort of a thick liquid, it's like mm. almost like a syrup. It's magic. And that syrup, yeah, and, and it co- it's coating all the pastas. And it's a dish that is very ephemeral, like very mm. temporary. Yeah. It only lasts for five minutes. Yeah. And afterwards, it starts to set. So you really need – it's almost like pizza, like good pizza, good Neapolitan pizza. They don't last for long. You no. just have to eat it straight out of the oven, maybe wait a minute. Yeah. But that, 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 that's the vibe. Uh, it's, it's funny that you guys in Australia are so keen and so uh, into Italian food. We never had a peasant class, Alex. Because, oh, wow, okay. because we, we came after our, – our country was founded after the Industrial Revolution. So we never built up our own repertoire of dishes. So we have mm-hmm. never had our own cuisine. So what we do as Australians is we take mm-hmm. all the different aspects of the world's cuisine, lots of Asian cuisine, lots of um, – uh, French cuisine, Italian cuisine, filtered through our own ingredients. And that's, that's amazing. That's that's our raison d'être. That's the the way that we see our kitchen and our cooking is that we are, let's face it, we're a mongrel nation who okay. uses lots of different aspects of uh, different cuisines. Okay. Well, I, I I would love to I would love to learn about like like uh, the, the the food scene in Australia. I can well, see you got to come down from here. its geographical position that you guys must have so many influences from Indonesia, Japan. I think is big in Australia, yes. right? Thai, Japan, Thai. Indonesia. That would be, that would be amazing. Then you've got all the Western influences, uh-huh. obviously, as uh-huh. well. There, there, there is a field of my. Uh, culinary repertoire that I haven't explored very much. And that's everything that's connected with fire, mm. fire and barbecues. And I can see the scene yes, in Australia is massive. Uh, yes, the fire. We're still talking to Alex, the French chef. We're going to take a quick break here. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. I want to talk about the Georges V. The Georges V, nice one. My God. (laughs) That was an incredible episode. This was the episode about sources. And again, you said, i got to learn how to do these sources and somehow... You got to meet the executive chef of the Georges Sank, uh, Christian Lesquer. Am I saying that yeah. right? And Christian Lesquer. Lesquer. 
And he took you under his wing and you one day you just rode down the Champs-Élysées on your bicycle as you do uh, filming. And tell us a little bit about that and who you met, the executive chef known as Machine de Guerre. Everybody loves that nickname. That's amazing. Ah, Romain. Machine de Machine de Guerre. Machine de Guerre in French means war War machine. machine. War machine. So, uh, along that series, the Mother Sources series, where my goal was just to, I think, solidify my basis, my my foundations in French cuisine. Because I thought, well, I'm a cook. I'm very much into freestyling when it comes to cooking, very much into foreign influences. But what about my French game? (laughs) It's a little weak. So, let's just strengthen that game. Mother sauces it was. There are five mother sauces in yes. French cuisine. Yeah. What Espagnol, Velouté, mm. Bechamel, Hollandaise, and Tomate. Yeah. Most of them don't come from France in the first place. But that's another story, yeah. I guess. Especially the so my, in, in, in my journey, I was trying to master each and every of these mother sauces. Mm. And I thought, if that's traditional French cuisine that I'm going for, I need to go to the most traditional place I know. And that would be a three Michelin star restaurant in Paris. Mm. There are not that many restaurants like this in Paris. One of them is the one you mentioned. So Le Cinq. It's a restaurant that is located in the Four Seasons Palace, um, the George V Hotel in Paris. Mm. And the chef there, uh, Christian Lesquerre, taught me a lot about sauces. That's wicked. Mm. They, they They just... they didn't share a recipe with me. They share. They, they they've been sharing they more than this. The attitude, the vibe, the what you're looking for, mm. the process. But for, from a bigger picture, like from a distance, this is what you're trying to achieve. This is not. You're not trying to do this. You're trying to do that. For example, the thing, the most important thing that I learned with them, with these very talented, you know, line cooks and chefs, was that a sauce is usually made from stock yeah okay and the more and more you get closer to the source and the more and more you step away from the stock Mm. the more decisions you make the stock is a very broad start you can go in many different directions with the stock you could go fish you could go lighter you could go stronger you Mm. go with a little more vegetables you could go you could add so many things but as you step towards the sauce the flavors concentrate because you reduce the volume basically okay and then you add more flavors i'm adding a little more thyme i'm adding a little more carrots so this sauce is taking that spin so they told me that decisions are made gradually in the process of making the sauce and that the stock should always be should always be made with an with a broad, with a generic approach. Mm. It should fit many different situations. A stock shouldn't have a sharp angle, if that makes sense. Mm. And so they told me how to make stock, how to make a simple chicken sauce. Simple, I mean, come on. It's just like, it's proper old-fashioned French cuisine, so nothing is simple, but at least I, I, I learned so much. Now, the beauty is that I can wrap up a sauce at my place and I don't feel bad about it mm. anymore because I'm not following what they told me exactly. No. But I know where this is going. I know how to navigate on sauce now, if that makes sense. And they said such it, a, a, a Roman said such beautiful things. Incidentally, he looked like he could have just come from the Foreign Legion. He looked like such a hard <laughs> ass. But yes, um, he, he seemed like an, uh, a nice guy. But I remember he said... Uh, there was a, a couple of things that I took from that. One was, it was a lot of it was about degreasing. And I remember you said, "Why degreasing?" You said, "Well, less fat." And I went, oh, yeah, "Okay, so you think you chef?" Um, but here was the beautiful thing: when you were sort of finishing off the sauce, he, he said, "Okay, the colour brings the flavour, the aromatics bring blooming," and that was so beautifully put. And I thought that was great. And then after that, he said, "Okay." Vinegar to round it up, so a little bit of acid mm, mm-hmm. to do that. Then he said garlic and thyme to wake it up. I mean, th- this is an amazing episode. Yeah. The episode at, the, at this three Michelin star restaurant, and I liked it even more 
considering the fact that I'm against three Michelin star in the first place. <laughs> yes. I'm, a, I'm a very popular guy. Yeah, I, 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 popular in the sense of just down to earth. Mm. I like street food better. I like being in markets, chatting with folks, cooking like this and, you know, freestyling. But it was an amazing experience, like very humbling. And these guys, that episode, when I ask questions to Romain Mauduit, the, the executive chef there, yeah. I'm barely scratching the surface of the knowledge of these guys. But he was... they, they're just so deep mm. when it comes to details. The guy was just making the sauce, telling me why this or that matter. But I could feel that it's almost like this guy has amplified senses it's it's like it's it's muscle memory with just incredible intellectualization yeah yeah Isn't and he's sort of chef he's chef to, yeah no it makes sense he's chef so the head chef the chef de cuisine who is above the executive chef mm. so christian lesquer when i made my own jus so my own re- reduced sauce at the end of the series later down that road i came back to this guy you went and to his ab- apartment. Oh my yeah. And ooh yeah. la la, huh? <laughs> yeah, was... I went to his private apartment. Oh that was my... amazing. That must have been. You must have had your heart in your mouth when you brought that little jar of your jus. Uh-huh. Yes, I, I was slightly worried. I was slightly scared, intimidated, maybe. Yeah. But I for a good been. reason. He's a Michelin star chef. You know, you, people, including me can think whatever they want about the poshness, the snobbiness of Michelin stars, and even the arbitrary of this French rating system. Mm. But he's that guy. He's He's an extremely talented individual. He's been working his ass off for years and years and years. And like, for example, he took my jus to my sauce. He opened the lid, smells it, and said, oh, nice. And then he said, oh, you've been generous with time. With the time. And he said, and I said, too generous? And he said, yeah, maybe too generous. And that's funny because these guys said, just by the smell afterwards, they say, so many things off camera as well. They say, smells good, maybe a touch too sweet. Yes. I didn't add any sugar to it. But no. just the fact that I used a little more carrots than what I should have used in the first place. Because you used three, they, they, three they're, sets They're of... able to tell that by the smell of it. That was three sets of mirepoix. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. But the, can you can you imagine just being able to tell the seasoning of a dish just by uh-huh. its smell almost? They, it's just like they they've been doing this for so long. It's embedded in their skin almost, mm. and they've been the nicest ever. I mean, they granted me with two Michelin star, which I think is just. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to argue if they give me two Michelin star for my no, jus. But, but, I'm going to take it. But what you did was valid. You know, and, and what they were saying was was valid in their critique. Um, and as he said, you know, the thing that pushes it over to the three star is that the well, to use the French emotion, je ne sais quoi. That's certain something. Is that the right way to say that? Yeah, yeah, it's the je ne sais quoi, but it's yeah. emotion. emotion, emotion. And then you went to it should be yeah. sexy. <laughs> yeah, but 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 that's the vibe exactly. Yeah. Like 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 to to go from. Like, like a, a jus or that sauce in a, in a two Michelin star needs, that's a prerequisite, needs to be spotless in terms of technique. But you want to go three Michelin star, then you, you got to add emotions, personality. You got to have something to say then. It's funny. That's a good segue to the series that I'm working on at the moment. The rice. So I'm in the fried rice. Yes. Mm. And if we were... That's a little uh, disclaimer. If we were out of COVID-19, obviously, I would have made half that series in Guangzhou in China, obviously. Wow, really? Yeah, of course, because I would, I would be in what was previously uh, called Canton. I've got a small team. I've got a, an editor. I've got a producer. Yeah. And we invest a lot into these series because we know that the only difference I can make on YouTube is by doing quality content. That's my... I'm not the youngest punk out there i can't make the most extreme videos i can't make the most calories yeah. maddening videos you don't want this go. is not my value no it's not your vibe either yeah? it's not my vibe either no, i can't make i don't want to make just recipes my job is to inspire people uh, to try to inspire people so i only have a screen mm. and sound so i must be able to convey emotions through pictures and sound and if you want to do that, well, you need to be creative when it comes to 
locations and people you meet and things you share to the camera and you need to describe the food you taste you need to inspire people with more than just you know the basics for example i started making series i'd say three four years ago so five years in my youtube adventures i yes. realized that i was the, the the videos that I was producing back then weren't fully satisfying my appetite for ingredients and food. Yeah. I need to go deeper. I can't just make a recipe and call it a day. I don't feel good when I do this. I need to understand why this ingredient, why not this one? And then where does it come from? Who's the best at doing this? What's the regional version of that recipe? Uh, if we do it like this, is it still going to work or is it going to mess up? Or... Okay, so if you if I were to use an oven instead of a frying pan, would, would that work? That's how I approach dishes. So I thought maybe back then, so three years ago, I thought there might be a niche for that type of contents that would allow me to bloom, to to to, to use that word again, mm -hmm. in the you know in in my culinary in my own culinary world. So I, I would just be like explore. All the madness, all the geekiness that I've got inside of me for for like these dishes, and for fried rice, it would only make sense to go to China to learn from the best. I was lucky enough; it was just like people don't even know what's happening behind the scenes, but it's madness here for in terms of production and logistics, just to make things happen. Yes, I'm always, always on the edge of not being able to do it. And people just see videos just popping by every week. And wow, Alex has met a chef. And then I'm learning and I'm, I'm building a stove. Next thing you know, the chef is coming to my place. Sorry, that's a spoiler for next week. But I, I've contacted, I don't know, dozens of restaurants. Yeah. They, it, and, and everybody's been closing doors because it's COVID-19. Nobody wanted to take risks. I, 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 initially, I thought, I, I can't go for a fancy restaurant. We're talking about fried rice. I need to go and find a casual restaurant, something in the Chinese district in Paris that was my initial go-to. But then after reaching out to so many people, this guy came back to me and he was so positive, What's so spontaneous. Yes. Chef yeah. Samuel Lee Sum. Samuel Lee. And, and he got back to me and said, well, I'm, I'm a chef. And he told me his story, so which is an amazing story. He's the only... Mich he owns the only Michelin star Chinese restaurant in all France. There's only one, yeah. that's this guy. He flies in his cooks straight from Hong Kong. Ooh. That's the vibe. Yeah. And, and the, the, the kitchen is a full Cantonese Hong Kong kitchen. Yeah. There's nothing I've ever seen in French restaurant there. And they only speak Cantonese, not even Mandarin. They only speak Cantonese in the restaurant. Mm. So I, I thought, oh, man, I know I, 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 I didn't want it at first to go for like a posh restaurant, but this guy is so legit and he's opening the doors and he's just being friendly and casual. That's, that's something that I've been learning. I go with the flow. People don't see it, mm. but I go with the flow. If something kicks in, then we have a brainstorm with, with, with my small team and we think, oh, okay, so I know I was, I was supposed to go that route, but this guy is amazing and he's opening new doors for me. Let's just all pivot. Mm. And the whole series just pivot, and then we take another route. And but but that's and, yeah. one of the advantages of having a small team that you're able to be adaptable and flexible, and being able to go off on that tangent and go, yeah, this is valid. He's valid. Let's do this, and everyone nods yes. their heads and go, all right. So okay, we'll do it tomorrow nine o'clock. <laughs> we'll be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the, the crew the is as small as three people plus sometimes a camera operator that helps me if I have also to manage interviews where in this case it can be a little brain melting for me to operate in English, do a proper interview and operate the camera at the same time. Usually one of these three things screw up. Yeah. So when it's the battery or the <sighs> SD card in my camera or or sometimes I'm just a poor host because I, I can't, you know, bounce back on what the person is telling me as an interviewer. So having someone sometimes to help me is good. But yeah, we, we managed to keep the, the team super small, super slim. Mm. And everybody's based somewhere else. My, my producer is based in the south of France. My editor is based in the UK. Oh, wow. We're all 
And I'm all, I'm all alone in my studio, basically, which yeah, is yeah. great. But come together on a lot of Skype meetings. Yeah, we all we we do everything remotely. I've been doing remote calls forever. Yeah. So when 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 people told me, "Wow, with COVID you can't see people no more," I was just like, "Well, Absolutely. I've been in my own studio for seven years alone, so I, it doesn't doesn't make any difference for me." So uh, what can we look forward to uh, upcoming series wise? A break. A well-deserved break. That's that's one of the luxury I can afford on my channel. I do three-month production. Yes. So I publish a series, and then there's a three-month break on my channel. And then in three months' time, there will be another series. Yes. It, it should be, but it's not cast in stone yet. I can share that with you if you want. It should be about Italy. It should be about Italy and about the shape, specific shape of something that is dear to Italian's heart. Okay. And hopefully you won't make their heads explode. I don't think I will. I mean, I hope I will mm. also because yeah. I'm all for a little entertainment. Yeah, because... I think it's... Did you... Trick them out is my sport. You met, you met Jamie Oliver, right? So I worked with Jamie Oliver okay. for three years. The funniest series I ever saw because we in Australia, we understand the Italians because we live amongst them. They live amongst <laughs> us and, and they are a part of us and we're a part of them. That's part of being an Australian. And we know about how unequivocal they are about their food. It's like, what are you doing that for? What, why Rachel's <laughs> laughing and she's nodding her head. But I remember he came along in his, in his van, you know, in the, in the comedy. He goes, hey, how are you going? And I thought I'd put some capsicum in, in, in the, you know, in the thing and cook it up. And there's all these people go, no, you can't yeah. do that. And I remember at the end of the series, here is Jamie Oliver slumped over the steering wheel of his combi, looking haggard, looking exhausted, looking yes. spent. If I would be honest, he was just spanked, going, yeah. He went, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I was just trying to bring him a little bit of joy, but I got so much pushback. And that goes with the Italian in that they have a great cucina. It hasn't evolved a lot over the, the, the years because in a way they're kind of stuck. For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot but i'm also looking forward to freak out like all italian grammars with like ways to recreate their dishes like for example just coming to an old roman lady and yeah. just saying you, you know what you've been doing ketchup pepe with this type of pasta for years yeah. i think you get you guys are wrong can i say that no. it's gonna be funny no, just... so but 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 first i will have to gain Thick trust. Valid, validation okay, yeah, good yeah, luck. from chefs as well. Because I, I, I think I can manage to convince chefs. Because really? chefs can have, especially modern Italian Not the chef, nonas, chefs. though. You're not going to be able to get the nonas. The nonas is yeah. going to be complicated. But that's... I'm a filmmaker. I know. I, I, live, I live for these reactions. Oh, that's going to be a great series. I can't wait to Italian see. nona reacts to... Yeah. Me making pasta is going to be funny. My one advice to you is maybe wear Kevlar clothing. I don't need that. Okay. I, I don't need that. Because I'm, 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 I'm would known as I can't win the fight. I yeah. can't win the fight with them. But I can at least raise a question or with their grandkids or with their ne nephews or sons and daughters and just say, I'm just saying. This is an option. What do you think? And if I get the stamp of approval from one of their chefs, which I'm going to win first before going on war, yes. then maybe I have a chance to at least make them smile. I think in the end, when the camera will be off, they will say, nah, I'm never going to do what that French... Who, who that, does he think he French is? Guy. That French guy came into our village. Yes. Can you believe, can yes. you believe yes. this guy? Just throw this in the garbage. But I don't mind. No. It's just like, for example, look, you know what? The Cacio e Pepe video that I did yeah. got reviewed by Italian chefs, yeah. by Roman Italian chefs. And I there's a video about it. Italian chefs react to the most popular Cacio e Pepe videos of YouTube. I watched and a couple uh, of them. Oh, you, you, you've seen these. Yeah. And they've been su super nice with me. They yeah, said, because... wow, that guy is weird. He's cutting pasta. He's making starch water. But you know what? It's not completely – it does valid. make sense. But it was valid. And one of the things – and I know we've got to let you go to do other stuff. But one of the things that the really that a lot of the Italian chefs hadn't even considered, it's like 
what peppercorn do you use? And do you yeah, roast, exactly. roast the peppercorns first? And you've got a couple of the Italian chefs who were like, going, eh, the French guy doing the cacio e pepe. Mm-hmm. But then he goes, yeah, you roasted the pepper. I never thought of doing that. You know what? I'm going to do that. And to me, I high-fived you and I went, oh, go, Alex, because that's great. Because if you're going to get you. an Italian to go, yeah, what he did was, was valid. And I never thought about that. And you have actually taken a dish from the cucina of Italy and you have. You've improved it. And I think that's one of the things that makes you so cool. That was funny. I approached the dish with a kid's mind. Yeah. I, I got no rules. I'm not Italian. So you give me pepper and I'm just immediately thinking, I love Indian food. Mm. I've, I've been learning how to deal with spices with Indian people. Yes. And they always told me, you never grind the peppers. A, a spice yeah, that roast. hasn't been toasted before. Yeah. So why, I thought I should apply that as well. Yeah, Makes cause, sense. Because that's the Indians and, waving their fingers going, why are you doing that for? How come you're not roasting? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. This cool. is the thing. Food is universal and we all learn. And this is the great thing, getting back to that idea of the more we know, the less we know. But isn't it a great journey to discover it? Amen. It's been great discovering you and chatting with you, Alex. Thank you so much for your time, man. Come to Melbourne. I will show you around and show you what makes this great food city tick. That's the deal, man. Thank you very, very much. Triple R. John's waving stuff at me. Hello, John. Hello. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm bloody good, except I blew my blew my ears out before. <laughs> yeah, that was before he got excited. I, just I did. Handed, I handed Cameron a little bunch of baby Cablanero, which is Tuscan cabbage, oh. and he got excited. He thought I was giving it to him, and I'm telling mm. him, hurry up and roll, and no, we'll talk no. about this stuff. Push, push the button. I want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, for those that have been living under a rock, what is uh, Cablanero? Cavallonero is an Italian kale. The Germanic kale is um, very, very hard and um, coarser. Yes. This is a little bit softer. And then we have the boracol, which is the um, decorative kale. You'll see it growing out in the gardens. Oh, don't eat it. Purpley. No, no, you can eat it. It's very edible. Oh, okay. Um, The florists tend to use it a lot in their floral arrangements. That's why I thought and yeah. this is sort of like um, this is kale a, meets cos lettuce. Uh, yeah and even silver beet a little bit yeah. smaller leaf more wrinkly than silver beet a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, this is a very very good vegetable very high in iron got a lot of vitamins and minerals in it mm. very tasty. Uh, my neighbour Robert next door keeps hanging it on because I, I say... That <laughs> doesn't fry, sound like him. You fry a little bit of bacon and uh, a little bit of onion and throw this on top and put a little bit of tomato in it as well. That is like the great Italian war cry to me, if I can just paraphrase and say, a little bit of bacon? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially if you made your own bacon, which we did um, oh. on Monday. Oh, so, it's done. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's got a cure now. Okay. So this is a very nice vegetable. There's so many ways you can cook it. Mm. You can chop it and throw it into a minestrone. Yeah. Um, you can boil it or steam it or whatever. Uh, Franca steamed it yesterday. And it doesn't need long to cook? No, not very long at all. Like no. I said, you fry your bacon and, and t- uh, onion, throw this on top. Wilt it down? No, no. First you cut it with the oil, put the lid on top, wilt it down. Two, three minutes? Yeah. Open a lid, stir it again, another two, three minutes... In heaven again. Uh, and uh, and virtuous heaven too, because, uh, as you said, it's very, very good for you. Hey, we here we are, uh, Queen Victoria Market. It is the middle of winter. It's been a cold, cold week. Um, this has surely got to be time to think about cabbage, Brussels sprouts, uh, things like that. We just said... Cavallo Nero. Rapa. No, don't say Cavallo because I think you're calling it a horse. <laughs> That's I mean, right. Yeah, yes. I got in trouble with that a few uh, years And the horses will eat it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but all those brassicas, all those, all those um, cabbages and things, they will be sweet as. Especially if they get a frost. Brussels sprouts yeah. are, are the best to be eaten after a, a frost. You see they're nice and big. They're vibrant. Mm. Um, very tasty when you cook them. You don't smell sulfur down the street. Yeah, that's um, good. So, yeah, now's the time to jump in. And they're really good for you. Yeah. And it's a change of menu as well. It reminds you that the seasons have moved on. Yeah. Um, there you go. Eating to the seasons. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what we're all about. Um, although one of the great things that we are blessed with in this country 
and also, dare I say it, um, a certain amount of topography in a place in Doncaster where there's uh, a windbreak and uh, a sheltered place to grow tomatoes. Are they happening? Did I just set yeah, up something? Yeah, we, we've that got the last batch of tomatoes from Victoria. Oh, thank God. And uh, now we're moving on to Murray Bridge, and I'll, I'll grab one and I'll show you. Yep. Have a look at that. That's vibrant. Yeah. It looks like a wow. very, very young baby tomato that was picked yesterday. We could be in March or, yeah, yeah, you know. The stems are very green. Oh, why? Sorry. Why is that? Because the colour is beautiful. The calyx is green and fabulous. And if you rub it, it smells like the tomato. That's yeah, a beautiful tomato. It doesn't always have smell at this time of year, but the flavour's always there. Yeah, yeah. It's different than a gourmet tomato. Gourmet tomato can play footy with it, yeah. and, and still uh, it's hard, yeah. and it looks beautiful, and that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. There's you slice them in half, the aroma comes out. Um, you know, you leave them out, you don't put them in a the fridge, and the flavour's very, very nice. That's, look, it's, it's July, and that's the best tomato I've seen in quite a while, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's pretty, it's round, it's red. It, like you said, the colour's green. And if I can paraphrase you, it's saying, eat me, eat me. Definitely, it, Definitely. it does, because yeah. it's attractive. Yeah. And especially in the sunshine like it is now. Is this, um, have you brought this out for show and tell, this capsicum? No, but I'd like to talk about it since you've picked it up. All right. This one, unfortunately, got a little bruise on the side because it looks like someone has put their thumb on it when they were picking it and pulled too hard. It's, it's thick flesh. It's, it's thick flesh. Wow. This, this is a capsicum that was grown in South Australia. Yes. It's not red, red. It's getting there. It's got a little bit of a green hue on it. Yeah. But in a couple of days, it'll be very, very red. Six times the vitamin C of an orange. Yeah. And um, crisp and sweet and fragrant. Beautiful to eat raw in a salad. But I like these cooked. We fry them and we stuff them and bake them. And, you know, a lot of people yeah. make a sauce with them or a, a little coolie for the bottom oh, of their roast. I love that. I love um, a, a nice piece of fish served on just a, a capsicum puree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, a little bit of olive oil and um, on, oh, yeah, pepper. And the colour really, you know, is inviting. So, yeah. you know, get out there and have a look for those. They're, they're all prices. Um, you can buy riper ones and smaller ones from three fifty. Uh, we've got $5 on these. These are pick of the market because we How actually... How did you say? $5 a kilo. Oh, that's pretty good. And, yeah. and it is winter, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there's a glitch, they'll even hit $15, but I don't think it's going to happen this year because mm. we had, had a lot of the, the rainstorms earlier on. True, so, so they've had a chance to you know, grow. In, in South Australia and Queensland, I think the capsicum crops are coming on big time, so we won't see the big dollars this year, which okay. is good. Change of subject. Um, speaking of prices from Queensland, what are bananas out at the moment? Uh, bananas have come back a little bit, I believe. I can't see. No. But I saw some before for two ninety nine. Like ladyfingers. Um, I think lady, it might be five bucks. They were up to eight bucks recently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's more supply. And Stephen picks up some of the riper eco bananas with the wax on the bottom. I think he's got $3 or so on those because they normally sell five, six bucks a kilo. Yeah. Um, but they're ready to go. So, you know, you take them home and have a feast. Um, and when they get too ripe, they make a beautiful banana cake. Yeah, right. What are those things over there, $13? Um, sorry, this is a bad time. Oh, pomegranate. Actually, I think that might be the next one. Might oh, be... dragon fruit. Yeah. Dragon fruit and green mango. I can't. Yeah, green it's, mango. It's too glary this time of day. Yeah, doing this is gorgeous. This. It's gorgeous. I'm enjoying this, yeah. Compared to what I was this morning, my feet were going to fall off. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but we're very lucky. We've got beautiful green beans and peas. They're a little bit pricey, but the mm. quality is just so exceptional. When you break the green beans in half, they've got that jelly inside, um, and people have been buying them and eating them raw, so yeah. you know, don't even make the pot. Because that is the true test of if it's going to be a really, really fresh green bean. John taught me this many, many years ago. Snap it in half, and yeah, it looks should be like a, a translucent jelly. Definitely, and, and all the way through, not just a little bit. Because mm. you break open a machine pick, yeah, they might have a little bit and might have a big seed inside too. They're okay, take them home, cook them, enjoy them. Can't keep them four or five days in a crisper. No. They're, they're, they are hand harvest, the ones you can keep them up to two weeks. Sometimes we've kept them in the fridge. Yeah. You know? So you get what you pay for. Yeah, and you want to plan your stuff so that you, you use stuff up. All right, let's do the pick of the market. Pick of the market, John. Oh, you want to show me a little onion? Oh, they're oh, cute. Look at this. 
Oh, wow, this could be... Uh, Much smaller than a golf ball. This is... Uh, John has just uh, plunged a knife into a sack and brought out a uh, onion, which would be a perfect onion for pickling. For pickling, for uh, throwing into a stew, mm. into a beef um, bourguignon. Cocovin. Cocovin, this yeah, is what you need. Um, yeah, my lips are all over the place today. They are. <laughs> but that size onion, you know, if you've only got need a little bit of onion, that's the ideal thing. How you much? don't waste the onion. These we're going to throw out at two fifty a kilo. Uh, the little ones are a lot more expensive than the big ones, believe it or not. I might have to try and pickle some of these. Um, yeah. All right, and speaking of pickle, pick of the market. Pick of the market. People have been buying Savoy cabbages and saying, oh, we can't find a Savoy. I always sell them because they're softer, sweeter, um, Love them. juicier. Yeah. You can do everything with them. Um, I brought a few Swedes to make a, a roast or a stew, mm. make a good Irish stew. Or you can do uh, with the Irish, you know, Scott's called Neeps and Tadies, where yes. you do half potatoes, half Swede, that's the yellow one, and then lots of butter and lots of pepper. Salt, yum. Oh, very good. Yep. Yes, and um, the tomatoes, like we said before, they're jumping. We've got cherry truss, we've got um, mini Roma truss, we've got rouge de marmont, we've got black Russians, we've got it all. Mm. So, you know, what we always say, walk through the market, there's an abundance of fruit again. You know, design your menus when you're here, walk around, pick the... Uh, eyes out of the market. Yeah. Cameron's intrigued by the colours of the fruit. Too. Yeah, no, I'm just seeing these beautiful big pineapples too. That's what about so... the size of those rock melons? They're oh, bigger they're than amazing. a football. Yeah. And cheap too, I think they're less than four bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Well, it's all here and John's here. Come and see me at Tomato City. Thanks always for your time, John. You're welcome. You're going to have to go back to work now. You're going to have to step out of this sunshine. Uh, no, I'm doing this cobble and error, and in the sunshine, mate, it's beautiful. Yeah, we're not, we're not brought down the last shower, you know. That's right. Yeah. See Take ya. Care. Well, where would we be without John mm. at the market telling us about life, the universe, and what to do with Cavaloniero? Thank God, huh? Hey, Thank God. Uh, you have been listening to Eat It. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, mm. Alex, the French food guy. Matt, I hope that you get to go and check him out because I think yes. he's valid and he's yeah, fun. And uh, I can't wait to see him go and rile up the Italians in three months' time. That's going to be something to see because I'm not sure if he knows what he's actually getting into. Uh, next week, we're going to be having a chat to Nikki Remar uh, yes. from uh, the beautiful Galotta. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope you enjoy that. There'll be some other little bits and pieces as we find them, uh, which will be good. Don't forget, still here is on next. Matt, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Cam. We will uh, speak to you all again next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.